0: Section 39 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies, An Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases, by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombow. Homicide, Part 6 the Goss Utterzook tragedy part fifteen jane Utterzook, the aged mother of the prisoner was next called to identify the handwriting of her son william e Utterzook. she had corresponded with him for years past since he was a boy and was able to recognize his handwriting when she saw it several letters were handed her with the request that she would look at the signatures and say what was her best judgment as to whether it was his handwriting or not. She had not her glasses with her, and her eyes were suffused with tears, so that she could not answer definitely. A pair of glasses were handed her, which, she said, did not suit her very well. Of a letter dated Baltimore, October thirtieth, 1871, addressed to his mother, and signed William E. Utterzook, 167 Conway Street, she said, "'It is likely it is his writing.' Of a letter dated Baltimore, November 16, 1871, directed to Mr. and Mrs. Mullen, she said, "'It looks like his writing.' Of a letter dated Baltimore, October 28, 1871, addressed to Mrs. Mullen, she said, "'I think that is the same handwriting.' The letter to Rhodes was handed to the witness." when Mr. McVeigh, the prisoner's counsel, remarked, I think these letters are so proven they will have to go to the jury. The letters were then offered in evidence by the Commonwealth. Gassaway Peters recalled, I noticed Utterzook's appearance when he brought the horse back that night. I saw that one leg of his pantaloons was dirty. He wore dark clothing. There were no blankets with the buggy when he returned it john hurley i reside in west fallowfield township it is about one field from my house to bears woods my wife awakened me on the night of the first of july and i heard a noise of a man hallooing. i did not look to see what time it was but i think it was between ten and eleven o'clock i got out of bed and went to the window and i heard three loud calls after i got to the window a kind of hallooing then it was still for about two minutes and then i heard what sounded like loud and wicked scolding one of them hallooed oh not nearly so loud as the other sounds i was at the window listening some twenty minutes or so i heard a sound like a horse and wagon i saw nothing i could tell by the sound from what direction it came it came from bears woods towards daylight i noticed a light burning in the woods DR. JOHN J. GIBSON. I reside in Cochranesville. On the morning of the second day of July, 1873, I observed smoke arising from about the center of Bear's Woods. I was where I could plainly see full two-thirds of the top of the woodland, and was about a mile and three-quarters distant from the woods. It was about half-past five o'clock in the morning. JAMES ROBINSON. I am a millwright, and in the early part of July in this year I was repairing a mill near Cochransville. On the morning of the 2nd of July, at about half-past four o'clock, I noticed smoke ascending from Bear's Woods. The smoke seemed to come from the centre of the woods. I was about a mile and a half distant when I first saw it, and as I was going in that direction, I approached to within about three-quarters of a mile of it. It attracted my attention considerably, and I stopped and looked at it. It was a heavy body of smoke, and showed very plainly. I continued to notice it until I lost sight of it in the hollow, as I turned off from the pike to go down to the mill. Samuel Robinson On the morning of the second day of July last, I saw smoke rising from near the center of Bear's Woods. It was between half-past four and five o'clock. On the Sunday following after the body was discovered, I was in the woods and saw a few burned fragments of clothing at a spot where there had been a fire. I have these charred fragments with me. Opening package containing pieces of cloth. Here is part of them. It was ten days or more after I saw the fire when I went into the woods. Albert Baldwin recalled, I examined the buggy next morning after Utterzook had returned it to my stable. The rivets of the bows on the left side were broken so that the bows would spring backward and forward. The iron of the dash was broken off on the left side, at about four inches from the top. The whole dash was bent over forward. The oilcloth, which had been tacked to the floor of the buggy, was torn out and missing. Only portions of it remained that were held round the edges by the tacks. Afterwards, on the fourth, I noticed what appeared to be bloodstains upon the bottom of the floor of the wagon. It appeared to have run through a crack in the floor. I searched the wagon, to ascertain if there were any bloodstains, because of what Rhodes told about his conversation in the hayfield with Utterzook. I made out a bill against Utterzook and gave it to Mr. Patchell to collect— the bill was for the missing blankets, for breaking the wagon, and for overtime. A paper handed to witness, which he identified as the bill. The bill is made out for $12.75. I received $9 through Mr. Patchell. Edwin Patchell recalled, Mr. Baldwin gave me a bill to collect against William E. Utterzook on the evening of the second day of July. I found Utterzook at his mother's house, and presented him the bill. I said to him, Here is a bill that Baldwin has made out against you for breaking his wagon and losing his blankets. He stood for a second or two, and then said, Yes, I lost the blankets, but I did not break his wagon. Then he said, Yes, I broke one small iron in front. I do not feel willing to pay for the wagon, but the blankets I will pay for." He looked at the bill and handed me nine dollars, all in one-dollar notes. He asked me for a receipt, and I said to him it was not necessary, as Baldwin would give him a receipt when he got the money. He said, I will not be here longer than tomorrow morning, but Baldwin can give it to mother. He kept the bill. Joseph Wilson I reside in Cochransville. I am clerk of the hotel there. The prisoner at the bar called at the hotel in Cochransville at about seven o'clock in the morning of the second day of July last and asked for breakfast. I immediately ordered breakfast for him, and after he had finished, he paid his bill and went away. Mrs. Lydia Bowman. I saw the prisoner on the morning of the second day of July last at the hotel in Cochransville. I waited on him at his breakfast. I noticed his clothing he wore his coat buttoned tightly across his breast. I noticed then his pantaloons were dusty, as though dust had settled on them after they had been wet. As he passed out of the room, I noticed his pantaloons were turned up at the bottoms. His hair seemed to be very much rumpled, as though he had been lying down and had not combed it afterwards. Samuel C. Jeffries recalled, I saw Utterzook the next morning after he left my hotel in Jennerville. I met him about two and a half miles north of my house, on the road leading from Cochransville. He was going towards Jennerville. After saying good morning, I asked him what he had done with his partner. He told me he had left him at Parksburg, that he, Utterzook, was going down to see his mother, and then home. He was traveling on foot, it was then between eight and nine o'clock in the morning. It was a warm morning. Cross-examination. His coat was off, and I think he was carrying it on his shoulder. I noticed the lower part of his pantaloons were foxy, dusty. Robert C. Kelton. I am station agent at Penn Station on the PNBCRR. I know William E. Utterzook. He was at my station in the evening of the second day of July last, and purchased a ticket from me to go on the six o'clock train. He went on the train towards Philadelphia. I saw him again in about one hour afterwards. He came back on the seven o'clock train. He had no baggage with him when he first came. When he came back, he had a valise. I spoke to him and said, "'Billy, you didn't stay long.' he answered me saying he did not intend to he went towards joseph miller's where his mother lives i next saw him on the morning of the third of july he got no ticket from me on that morning but he got on board the train going to baltimore he had no baggage with him unless it was a small bundle under his arm henry painter i reside in westchester i visited the house of mr joseph miller on the twenty-seventh day of july and inquired for mrs jane utterzook she gave me a valise containing a box of paper collars the valise heretofore introduced in evidence exhibited to and identified by the witness as the valise he obtained from mrs utterzook cross-examination i went to the house at the instance of mr wanger the district attorney I did not search the premises at that time. I did subsequently. Thomas Carroll. I reside in Baltimore, am a detective officer. On the 15th of July last, Sheriff Gill came to our office in Baltimore, and I went with him over to Otto Duker's planing mill, and there found and arrested William E. Utterzook. I took him into a room in the presence of Deputy Marshal Frey, Chief Detective Crone, sheriff gill and myself he stated that he went up to chester county pennsylvania to see his mother that he hired a horse and went to see his sister and brother-in-law prisoner's counsel was the statement he made entirely voluntary witness yes sir he said that the horse was a false one and he concluded to hire a horse and buggy he then started back to take the horse he had first hired home to its owner he tried to lead him, and he would not lead. He then tied him to his carriage horse, but he would not go. He then untied him, and started him on the road by himself. The horse bolted off to one side of the road, so that he had to get out of his wagon and turn him back to the main road again. He took the horse back to where he belonged, and then took the wagon to return it to the parties from whom he had hired it. In going along the road, a man came out, and asked him to take him in the wagon he did so and carried him to cochransville and there put him out he said he did not know who the man was he was a stranger marshal frey sheriff gill and mr crone then left the room and i was left alone with the prisoner the prisoner then made the remark to me this looks bad doesn't it i said to him he had better find someone who saw him let the man out of the buggy and our conversation ceased until I delivered him to Sheriff Gill at the depot. In the cars at the depot, he asked me if I thought he would get out of it. I told him I did not know what evidence the State would be able to produce against him. Cross-examination. There was no conversation at the planing mill about the offense, nor on the way to the office. Marshal Jacob Frey on my arrival at my office, about the middle of July last, I was informed of the arrest of William E. Utterzook, and went into the detective's office, and saw him there with Sheriff Gill and Detectives Crone and Carroll. I shook hands with Utterzook, having been acquainted with him formerly, and commenced a conversation with him by asking him if he had not been connected with the police force of Baltimore. He said he had— conversation drifted upon the subject of this murder he said his people lived in that part of the country and he had usually gone there to visit them during the holidays and as fourth of july was coming on he thought he would go a day there and spend the fourth with them witness then related utterzook's statements in substantially the same manner as did the preceding witness utterzook further said that when he had returned to jennerville at the place where he had hired the saddle-horse, a gentleman there met him and asked him to take him in his buggy to Cochransville. The gentleman got in, and he drove to Cochransville, when the man got out and he immediately lost sight of him. He said he did not ask the man his name, nor where he belonged, nor where he had come from. It was not the first time he said that he had seen this man. He had first met him in the cars going from Philadelphia to Jennerville, and sat by his side. He said the gentleman appeared to be sick. He judged that from the fact that he laid his hands and arms across the back of the seat in front of him, and laid his head on his hands. And the gentleman had asked him for a glass of water, which he gave him, and also to take the fare ticket to give to the conductor. Satisfying myself that Utterzook was the man that the requisition called for, I told him that we would have to deliver him to Sheriff Gill, who had a requisition for him, and that he would have to be locked up until the sheriff could leave with him. He asked permission to go home and change his clothes. I told him I could not grant that, but would send an officer to his house to tell his wife to send him anything he would want, and that his wife could visit him." I then sent him to the station-house, where he was locked up. William C. Crone I reside in Baltimore, am a detective. This witness corroborated, in detail, the testimony of the preceding witnesses relative to the arrest and statements of Utterzook. I then ordered his person to be searched. In searching him, we found a bill for the hire of a horse and buggy, and for the loss of blankets. I delivered the bill to Sheriff Gill. The bill of Mr. Baldwin, heretofore introduced in evidence, was shown to and recognized by witness as the bill found on Utterzook's person. I afterwards went to the station house with Utterzook's wife, and he gave her what money he had in his pockets. It was his last week's salary, he stated. DAVID GILL I am sheriff of this Chester County. I received a requisition on the 14th of July, and went to Baltimore that night, and was at the detective's office the next morning. This witness related the same account as the previous witnesses of the arrest of Utterzook, and of what he said of meeting the man whom he took into the buggy and drove to Cochransville. On the cars coming up from Baltimore, Utterzook told the witness that, after he had got acquainted with the man whom he met for the first time on the cars, he got off that train at West Grove Station, and walked from there to Jennerville. George Robinson visited Bear's Woods on the eleventh day of July, and at the place where the fire had been, which was near the centre of the woods, he found a brass, riveted button, such as he had seen upon pantaloons. James M. Crosson was in the woods on the thirteenth of July saw where the fire had been, and in searching the spot found an elastic button and a riveted button. He saw nearly a dozen other buttons and one buckle which had been found among the ashes where the fire was. He saw what appeared to be pieces of charred clothing which were found there. Hugh Rambo, Esquire, recalled, examined the buggy for bloodstains a few days after the body was found, he found some spots underneath the floor by a crack which he thought he would have recognized as bloodstains if he had not heard of the alleged murder he cut off some of them with a knife and placed them in a paper which he subsequently delivered to dr howard professor e lloyd howard recalled district attorney wanger called my attention to a wagon which i examined while in penningtonville on the eighteenth day of july last i paid special attention to the floor of the buggy and other parts of it upon which i found some red stains several of which i cut off with my penknife for subsequent examination and upon a careful examination i found they were blood-stains most of these pieces on which the stains were most prominent i destroyed in the process of examination i have several here these stains i found upon the floor of the buggy upon the under surface of the floor immediately below a crack between two of the boards in the floor of the buggy at about the centre of the floor and upon the edges of the boards at the crack or space between them i examined them with sufficient care to thoroughly satisfy myself that they were blood-stains i made special examination to determine if they were stains of human blood but on account of the length of time which had elapsed since the blood had remained there, I could not decide. That is, I could not form such an opinion as I would be willing to give as testimony. Comparing them with pieces of wood stained with my own blood, the results were identical. I also received from Esquire Rambo some pieces of wood stained with blood. Cross-Examined. This examination was microscopical, it was analytical, both chemical and microscopical. I formed my judgment from the agreement in all the experiments or investigations. The Commonwealth here closed. End of section thirty nine.